opportunity to do this legendary drummer Sammy Siegler. yes what's up thanks for having me man anytime man Very cool yeah it's like before we were recording you're out in California yeah I'm in New York and I just figured you know because we're friends on Facebook I've met you briefly a couple of times at shows yeah quick yo good show man and then kept the moving but um I figured I would just reach out and just see I had no idea you were in California I had no idea where you were, right. but I just throw I throw it out there and see, you know, if you'd be down. It's the magic of social media, man. You can um, see there's good and bad. People. Yeah, yeah. So it just turned out that you were coming in end of December, end of November, beginning of December. So whatever happens, happens. Let's make it work. Totally. Yeah. I'm so I took the thanks. day off of work to, to take care of some stuff and thank you, thank you. Do these things. Yeah. And uh, we're, at, we're in a basement right now in an undisclosed location. Yes, it, we are. Yes. We're all, is it, what would this be considered? Tribeca. We're in Tribeca. In we're a, in Tribeca in a basement of a place that I never was before. This yeah. is, uh, like I said, guerrilla podcasting, but we make it work. Yeah, it's I'll awesome. give a shout out. It's actually uh, Puffy's Tavern, which uh, Charlie, my buddy Charlie Garrigo, who plays with me and Judge and played in Civ with me and was an outface, uh, he is a part owner, so... Um, Trying to find some warmth and some quiet. Yeah, we, did. we were about to do it on a stoop outside. It's yeah. a little chilly. I hope out. this works. This is about yeah, yeah, and yeah, it'd be shivering out there. Yeah. So I don't even know where to begin with you. And like I say this a lot, I don't, I don't come equipped with like Tom Snyder type friggin' you know questions. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's just like a normal conversation. And if we fumble words, or whatever, it's yeah. just like you know someone's eavesdropping it on a conversation. But I don't even know where to begin with you because I knew a lot about you because of your music. I'm a fan of many of your bands for ever since I was a kid. Um, where did you grow up? I grew up in Brooklyn. Okay. I grew up in Brooklyn. I was all over the place, mostly in Brooklyn. As a little kid, Staten Island, moved to Rockaway for a little while. Um, hung, well, moved to Howard Beach for a little while, but always I was still like living with my parents, but I would still always hang out in Brooklyn. So I'd be going to shows like Lemoore's, and then I found, you know, obviously all the places in the city, like the Marquee and CB's and all these right, places like right, that. Right, right. Um, joined the military um, in the mid-'90s, so I was kind of, it was like a weird period where I was kind of out, because... I think it was a good time to be out. The mid-'90s to me were sort of the out years. It, you know, I know there was a lot of shit going on, but for me, too, like, it kind of stalled uh, in regards to New York hardcore. For yeah. me, for me. Those yeah, well, I think I think so too. It's like I um, I joined in '96, and it was it was kind of weird. Like I was at like I guess it's just time and place, and the people I wound up hanging out with. I wound up moving to Howard Beach. I had my my Howard Beach friends, and then I had my my hardcore and my Brooklyn friends. I had like different pockets of friends everywhere. Yeah. So I was in Howard Beach for a while, and then I joined the military, and it's like there's no hardcore scene in Clovis, New Mexico. 
Right. You know what I mean? And right. this is before the internet. I'm up in Elmendorf Air Force Base in Alaska. It's like I saw Quiet Riot there, and that was like a big deal because it was were actually you, a live show. Were you, you able know? to bomb with any other guys in the military that were that knew about hardcore? Or? There's one guy. He was from D.C. Yeah. I was I was at a place called Amici's. It was a, I, I don't know how I remember all this stuff, but in, in Alaska? No, this was in Clovis, New F- Mexico. Fine dining downtown Anchorage. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Actually, Anchorage, Alaska was awesome, dude. That's oh, probably cool. It's it, like. I got orders to go there, and they were like, oh, you're going to Alaska. I'm like, oh, really? Like, I didn't know nothing about Alaska. I'm thinking igloos and Eskimos and penguins and shit. But I got up there, and it's like, I think it's like 85% of the people that live in all of Alaska live in Anchorage. And the base that I was stationed at was like two miles outside of Anchorage. So there was a military area. And it's like next to like Fort Rich, I think it was called, Fort something like that. It was an army base. But it's like the second biggest Air Force base on the planet. And at the time, I was drinking and stuff like that. So there was bars after bars after clubs after strip clubs, strip clubs, bars. Like, you would never think that you were in Alaska. It's yeah. like, this is crazy. Yeah. It's a crazy party. party Because sure. if you're not a hunter or a fisherman, what is it to do? There's drinking. Yeah. And... It's it's excessive. I know up when there. you know Youth of Today did a tour in Europe in 1989, and I remember occasionally you know you'd roll up to the show and it'd just be a couple, you know, usually loud Americans, possibly right. drunk in the pit, just you know psyched on the fact that you know the poster said New York City hardcore, the picture of Ray with a shaved head. Right. And so they came, you know. And meanwhile, Ray was like, you know, not that he was bummed on it. I think it was just, but. Uh, you know, the message was a little bit different than what they were looking for, but it was it was still nice to see, you know, yeah. uh, Americans and yeah. military hardcore fans. Yeah, there was a kid, um, I was in a, it was like this little pizzeria-type restaurant thing on Cannon Air Force Base in Clovis, New Mexico, and I was sitting there alone, and I was drinking a pitcher of beer, and I was watching a Yankee game. And it was like a weekend or something like that. And I was just, I was just, you know, hanging out by myself. And some kid from behind me just goes, "Yo, is is that is that a a sick of it all dragon on the back of your neck?" Right. And I was just like, like where I'm at, I'm like turned around, like this was that was weird, you know. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, man. Some African American guy. His name was Ellis, and he was from D.C. Big into hardcore, huge into hardcore, yeah, so yeah. we bonded right there. I'm still friends with him, we still talk from time it's to time. It's the coolest fucking thing, man. Like, you know, I think we all kind of probably fell into it in our own different ways, but it just happened naturally, and I never thought, you know, 30 years later or whatever, like, you have that bond with people. You know, you meet people anywhere in the world, and if you connect on something like a Sick of It All tattoo, it's or crazy. like, you know, Age of Quarrel, or any just thing that connects it, immediately you're speaking the same language, you're from the same tribe. Yeah. Or you can share, you know, you're, you can kind of immediately get into a, a deeper conversation. Yeah, it's like, I'd be like, I work in Bay Ridge in Brooklyn, and there's not like a whole lot of hardcore people there, you know what I mean? I'd be walking down the street like on a random day, and I'd be, like, happened about a couple of months ago, Look at that shit, I have a Madball shirt on. Some yeah. guy I've never seen before in my life. Yeah. Yo, Madball, New York Hardcore. I'm like, yo, what's up? Like, you know, right. and, and it was just, I was like, all right, you know, cool. Yeah. Like, it's just it's just a weird thing like that. And I don't know if, you know, if you're wearing a Jay-Z shirt, that's not going to happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. very... Yeah, it's special. The, it's a special thing. Sure. Yeah. It's a solid bond, like the Sip song. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Go and figure. There, and there you have it, folks. <laughs> there you have it, folks. Live from the basement. <laughs> Live from the basement, the yeah. dungeon. Yeah. But um, now, like I said, like I don't even know where to begin with you because you've done so much, man. And 
when I was researching you, like I was saying before, like I know a lot about your music and your bands, but like I started digging and I didn't realize. I think I messaged you. I was like, when I'm putting this flyer together, yeah, how many band logos I have to search up, and and it's crazy. It's like you started out. Your first band was what Project X. The first band to me, like. You know, I was so I I grew up playing drums because my dad is a drummer and my grandfather's drummer. How old were you though? So it was like six or seven years okay. old. Okay. You know, and I was, um, and I think he told me that he had actually stopped playing drums and he had his drums packed up and I was always pointing to those drums like, what are those? What are those? Yeah, what are those? And he set them up for me and that actually got him back into playing. Okay. But then my grandfather would be around and they would teach me like, you know, a double stroke roll was just like mama papa mama papa like real primal shit okay but I also kind of got into Kiss I think at the time and you know that was just like explosions and and fucking Catman and all these dudes and I was just like into it um so I just kind of just got that bug. I wanted to be in the bands. So I have an older sister, and she kind of got me into like Blondie, and like my friend and I got into Devo, and it just sort of started kind of like going towards this kind of punk new wave thing. Um, and my older sister introduced me to these two guys, Alex and Toby, and we had a band called Noise Police, and I was probably like ten or eleven years old. Okay. And these guys were older. They went to Stuyvesant High School. To- they, the two of them later went on to play in the Skidanks. Toby became Rocker T, and Alex okay. Valenti's bass player. Who uh, actually plays with like Matty Pasta now? He like filled in with Leeway oh, really? recently. I saw some stuff on um, on Instagram. It was interesting that he somehow like yeah he ended up playing with Leeway, which is cool. But what's th- his name again? Uh, Alex Valenti. Okay. Yeah, he grew up on I grew up on 15th Street. He grew up on 13th Street. Okay. They went to Stuyvesant High School. We played this thing called uh, Founders Day, which was like on the Circle Line Ferry, where the Circle Line Ferry went to maybe it was Governor's Island or some island. The whole fucking high school. Yeah. Totally stoned, tripping. I'm like 10, 11 years old playing drums for this punk, <laughs> reggae, ska, hardcore band. We covered Power by Agnostic Front. Really? And I think that was really like my first intro into New York hardcore was these guys saying, here's a song called Power. Check it out. We're going to cover it. Wow. And um, that, yeah, that concert on the boat in itself was just fucking nuts. Um, I think someone <laughs> fell off the boat. Someone jumped through a plate glass window. Like, okay. It was pretty wild. Yeah, fun times. But that was music. And I, I got better quicker because I was in a band. I wanted to, for the next rehearsal, I wanted to be able to hold a steady beat or whatever. Sure. And, you know, from that, it kind of naturally happened where uh, some really good friends of mine met Dylan, who's Walter Schreifel's younger brother, okay. and said, hey, my brother's got this band, Gorilla Biscuits, they need a drummer. So I was 85, so I was like 7 and 10, I was 12 years old. Jesus Christ. There's some pictures of you online. You look like you look like a baby, dude. Yeah, and I was still kind of like punk, and I think I smoked cigarettes because I was sort of went through this like, I'm a badass punk. Like, of I was course. trying to smoke some pot. Me and uh, Matt Pincus, who I played bass in, in uh, who he played bass in Judge with me, um, Matt and I were kind of punk together. And so we were into that of like smoking joints. We'd buy like rolled joints from yeah. this guy called the Man in the Red Jacket up in Central Park. Or, you the know, Man I, in the Red Jacket. Yeah. Okay. Um, but then I joined GB, which was like, uh, just yeah, it was an interesting point for GB. We had a funny song called uh, it was like Mr. T song. It was about uh, the, it was all about Mr. T. So all there was right. like a level of humor, obviously, with Grill Biscuits. But of course, you know, playing better than you and playing those songs. And I ultimately played. I think I played a show at CB's with Gorilla Biscuits and I played the show called The Birth of Unity Show at the right track in Long Island and then they kicked me out of the band because I wasn't that good but that Birth of Unity show at the right track in uh-huh. was for me like the moment because yeah. the bill was stacked I forgot I think it was like Youth Today Warzone Sick of It All Underdog Crippled Youth like you know Crippled Youth's first show is bold I mean might not have been that exactly maybe you could find the flyer but it was a pretty fucking awesome like intro to the real yeah. scene and so from that point on 
um, I was with it, you know, and then I just, you know, met the guys in Side by Side through a friend, Side by Side, Need a Drummer, we recorded a song at uh, Don Fury's um, Violence to Fade for the Together, 7-inch for Rev, that was like my first real recording, you know. Oh, was it? I didn't know that, Like, in his studio, Don Fury's recording a song, like, that was fucking cool. Hell yeah. So, it was all just like a process of like, wow, I get to play a show, wow, I get to record a song, and then we did our own, Side by Side did an EP, and it just, uh... It just kind of kept going. I mean, from that, it was, um, I think, chronologically after that was... Side by Side was opening for Youth Today. Priscilla and I became really good friends. He was sort of like my older brother. And that's part of the reason why my parents were so supportive. Because, A, these guys were straight edge. I became straight edge. Right. And, um, and they were all, like, three or four years older than me. So they were just, like, my big brothers and good people. Walter, yeah. Ray Capo, Purcella. Um the guys in Side by Side and, you know, Jules and Billy and stuff. And, and my house was kind of the hangout, so my mom got to know them very well. And But Side by Side was tied with Youth of Today, and Mike left Youth of Today to do Judge, and Youth of Today to Drummer, and I got that gig. So now I'm in Youth of Today. And wow. that's, like, my favorite fucking band. I was a fan, really. Dude, yeah. I, you know? I, yeah, I was just... Well, this is, this is going to come out right after Walters, but I was just talking with Walter on, on the last episode. Um... I had, I had mentioned that, like, I had never claimed to be straight edge. Even, even before I even knew what straight edge was, when I was a little, little kid, when I was, like, 10, 11 years old, I found the Breakdown the Walls cassette tape. Yeah. And I listened to that, and it spoke to me on some... Yeah, I had my battles up and down. Yeah, I used to drink. I did things, you know, whatever. But as a little kid, like, that record yeah. is just ridiculous. It's so powerful. It's so inspiring. And, like, the fact that... You know, I had access to these dudes, so I mean, they, yeah, again, like I was a fan of all these bands, and uh, you know, I was so young, I can't really say I really thought it out. Like, let me put a thought into this. Like, what do I? Th- why not drinking? Or why? It just was like these are my boys. This is what we're doing. We're fucking yeah. hanging out, and we're doing this, and we're in bands, and we're almost like a, a gang, but we're like a positive gang, yeah. youth crew, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And it was creative too. We were making fucking T-shirts. We were making records. We were, you know, playing kids shows, were doing making shit. flyers. Yeah. yeah. So it just was really, you know, as a father now, like. It's like, shit, how do I get my daughter into something as, you know, whatever, inspiring or productive or... I think the same thing. You know, sort of stumbled upon it. And it's uh, really, you know, definitely thankful for it. Like, lucky. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, I think about that, too. It's like, I'm not going to... I can't push my daughter into liking certain things, but I would love for her to, like, hear that... Like she, she likes she likes the skinhead girl song Murphy's Law. Yeah. You know it's not crazy heavy. It's like ska. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I would love for her like to hear like a specific song and be like, wow, I like this, and then get into that. But I can't force it on her. You know, she likes what she likes. She's nine years old. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that would be like incredible. Like it's just also different with these kids now. I mean, you have phones and you have this and you have that. It's like it, it's kind of like a recurring theme that, that that I say a lot on the podcast. It's like. As kids and teenagers and younger kids, like there was no internet. There was you had to go out and you created things on your own without, yeah. you know, distractions and whatnot. And also thinking about it now, like those people were so, and maybe it was just me being younger and these guys being when well, you're that when you're 12 and someone else is 15 or 16, that's a huge oh, difference. Sure. So for me to look around and see a guy like Ray Bees, you know, or like John and Harley, or Jimmy Gestapo, or Ray Capo, or Lou Sick of It All, or Tommy Carroll, like these were like fucking action figures. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like I was like, oh my. God, like I'm surrounded by 
I guess the I don't know, like the equivalent in grunge would be like having Kurt Cobain and Eddie Vedder and like Without a doubt. fucking Chris Cornell or whatever. Sure. So I was if just, you want to put it that way, sure. Between hardcore and grunge, if it, yeah, they're on that yeah, same like level. Suits, you know, so it was just really the whole package. I was I was bought into it, and then the fact that I got to be in these bands, and really it was like Luke and myself and like Drew that ended up playing a lot of bands. Um, so you know when Judge happened. Uh, Ultimately, I mean, I think Luke played a show and Drew played a show with Judge and, and Mike played on the first EP, but I ultimately ended up getting playing with those guys, um, which was great. And doing Judge, then we did Project X, was just more of like a fun project. And yeah. we just knew how to do it. We knew how to make songs. We had to record them. And our friend started Revelation Records and, you know, Purcell and Alex started Schism. And it was just like, let's just be productive. I mean, in retrospect, like I just wish I did more. You know, I wish. Uh, Jesus Christ! I wish. But you know, what I mean, I, I wish I like sang for a fucking band. I wish that like, uh, I wish Side by Side did an album. I wish Project X did an album. I w- you know. Well, so then, all right. So, why wouldn't Side by Side be able to go back in? I I guarantee you that if if that happened and there was a buzz about that, it's like what's crazy is that I just recently watched for like the fourth time. The, the Vice documentary about Judge. Yeah. It's incredible. Cool. And, yeah, I watched it like four or five times. And and then I recently, I don't know if it was on Mike Judge's Instagram or the Judge Instagram, the official page or whatever, but I saw there was the clip of you guys playing in Bogota, Colombia. Yeah. And there's an insane amount of people and there's like three pits going on. Yeah. And it's And it's like, I'm looking at it from like my bedroom and I got chills like looking at that. But... And I think Mike touches not on that specific show, but on the documentary. He was like, when we came back, it's like Webster Hall is packed for the Black and Blue Bowl, and it's like three times more than the biggest show that was ever done. Yeah. So why would why don't you think that like if you got side by side back together, that would probably happen? Like look at Burn. When Burn sure. came back, it was massive, bigger than they ever were. And we talk about it a lot. I think you know, I, for me personally, I have a lot of love and respect for the scene. So like. I'm very cautious about it, you know, of, um, uh, you know, just like, does the world need another judge record, uh, you know, 20 years later, I don't really know, or 30 years later, or however many years it's been, like, it's, it's just gotta be really good, I mean, could it happen? Sure. Does it need to happen? I don't totally know, and it also takes a lot of fucking work, sure. and time, and getting the people to be on board, so, right. sometimes you just gotta, you take what you can, I'm really thankful that judge is good and we get to play now and that show in Columbia was fucking bananas and part of the joy of doing Judge now is like Sick. is really seeing Mike experience it because in the 90s when we were all doing like sort of whatever post-hardcore like I was in Civ and Walter was doing Quicksand and Richie was doing Into Another and we were still sort of playing in this other like yeah sort of post-80s kind of thing yeah. uh, Mike wasn't doing any of it you know he was sort of checked out and, and it was all the rumors so it's nice to see him He's almost like a little kid to see him go to Europe for the first time, to see him play SO36 in Berlin, to see him fucking, you know, just experience like going to Tokyo and kids wanting to take, you know, sign fucking everything and take these photos and like just the way that um, it's really cool just to see it, watch my So, so before Judge broke up, you guys never even went over to Europe? No, that's the thing. I think a lot of those bands back then didn't play that much. I mean, Judge toured. I think we did one full U.S. tour and one like half U.S. tour. Like we started in California, we so drove you across. never crossed the pond. Never went judged. to Europe. We we're supposed to go. We broke up. I mean, you could say even like when I was in the band, we played did a summer tour in '88. I did a summer tour in '89. Went did one like West Coast week and and a bunch of weekends. Like we didn't really play nearly as much as say like Civ was more like a 
pro fucking operation or when I was in rival schools like we toured months out of the year yeah and the way that you know even sick of it all and terror and all these bands now Matt Ball they fucking tour they work and that's what they do and so but back then like you know I don't think bands toured that much you know you just didn't the infrastructure wasn't there I don't know if it was pre-Wi-Fi or whatever but yeah there's a lot of factors I I, I book a wild one looking back is um, we had this guy Doug Karen who was this like interesting character he's the voice in the back on the end of the Grill Biscuits record okay and he was a booking agent okay based out of Rhode Island he died I think he might have died in the military like a paratrooper or something like that oh shit but uh, interesting guy Pied Piper Presents that was his company he gave me a handwritten list of uh, phone numbers and when I was 17 from my parents house from my bedroom I booked a tour which was Shelter Quicksand and Inside Out holy shit and it was like Minnesota and back and it was the fucking craziest tour because you had Inside Out with Zach. Yeah. And then you had... That's crazy. Quicksand just started. Charlie, I think, was in the band. Walter was singing, not playing guitar. And then I was uh, in Shelter, and Shelter was traveling with a school bus filled with Hare Krishnas from huh. Winnebago with this dude, the Maharaj, <laughs> who was like the Grand Poobah, right. like the main dude. And then there was the van with like Purcell, who really wasn't Christian yet, Inside Out, and myself. And uh, it was just a really wild tour. For the most part, it worked out. But just the fact that I, I booked it at age 17, I thought it was just... From, like, your house on, on like, a rotary yeah, phone call. calling you. It's like, what's up? Hey, I, I want to book a show. I've got this band called Shelter. And it's down quicksand. So but it was crazy. funny. You know, Ray Kappel was so... He was a Hare Krishna. And he was so into getting us to be Krishnas. Yeah. So, like, the day would start out, you know, be like, okay, we got it. And he was sort of the camp counselor. He's kind of got that mentality and he's good at it. And, and he would go, oh, guys, we're leaving at, like, you know, 11 o'clock or whatever. Uh, today, uh, Purcell, you're going to drive in the, with the Maharaj in the Winnebago. So I was like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't want to, man. It's like, I'm hanging out, like, yeah. selling jokes. And then, like, the next day, I was like, okay, Sammy, uh, you know, you're going to ride with the Maharaj. And I'm like, really? So now, next thing I'm sitting there with this, like, you know, 50-year-old man. He's just like, so, like, what do you think the meaning of life is? Oh, Jesus. Like, hey, all I want to do is just break balls and yeah. tell jokes. I mean, Zach De La Rocha is the funniest motherfucker ever. Like, is the jokes. He? Oh, it was just nonstop laughing. Like, yeah. At the time. I mean, he was. That's insane. Yeah. So that was, I don't know, a lot of good memories, but that's a, a good one for sure. That was a fun tour. Yeah. Now, I know. All right. Let me just rattle a little Because right, I made the fly And you were like I was more in some of those bands Than others Yeah, yeah, yeah Alright So You mind if I just rattle these off real I quick? I mean the bands that I wasn't That we I think are on that list That I wasn't Maybe you toured with them Yeah, so that I mean like band Yes, exactly So I did When I look at like my bands It's like Civ and Rival Schools And Judge And Youth of Today And uh, Side by Side And Project X And like And Gorilla Biscuits uh, Well, Gorilla Biscuits I was in and out of You know, that's right. really I, I associate Luke with that too I mean, Luke played on the album And the EP I was in the beginning And I played again at the end In 91 Gotcha Um but then there was things like the movie life needed a drummer for a tour and I filled in on that. Bold needed a drummer for a tour and I filled in on that. Right. Um, and then like you know, like the Limp Bizkit thing was like a hired gun sort of thing. Glassjaw, I did the record. It was sort of a hired gun thing. They wanted me in the band. I wanted to fucking do it but I was doing Rival Schools at the same exact time. Uh, I literally like had to choose one or the other. Yeah. And I went with Rival Schools because just we have a lot of history. And, uh, sure. But that, was a, that one was a hard decision. We'll all be free. Well, Be Free is my band, you know? Yeah. I, I help, oh, I know. I help, that's my baby. I helped put that together. And, yeah. uh, and Nightmare Review, too, was also like... It's a ridiculous record, too. Cool. Yeah, I mean, Brandon Riley, who wrote those lyrics and uh, a lot of the music, and he's a talented motherfucker. And, like, timing is everything, too. Like, we talk about a new side-by-side record, new Judge record. Like, it's not that easy to do because the timing is everything. I think sure. where Nightmare Review, where Brandon was at that time, was uh, he was able to fucking write those lyrics. And, yeah. Um, 
It's just timing. Yeah, it's, it's special. Now, what's now? I know you have. You, I, I believe it was like on one of your posts or something like that. I don't remember the context, but it was something like how it was very weird and very strange. But you did a tour or a leg of something with Patty Smith. It was okay. So I, I lived on McDougal Street for a while, and okay. um, and Patty Smith lived right down the street on McDougal and like Houston. Okay. And she was dating this kid I went to high school with, who was like a year younger than me. Which was just, I thought, so fucking bizarre. This kid, Oliver Ray, who ended up playing guitar with her. Okay. And um, so I'd see them around all the time, small talk, what's up? And she was usually very quiet, but I would chat with Oliver because I knew him from high school. And then one day, he, I ran into him, he was like, hey, we have a show coming up. We were supposed to be off, and our drummer's like out of the country or something. Do you want to play drums with us? And I was like, sure. You know, and, and full disclosure, like I'm sort of a Patti Smith poser. Like, I just never really... Yeah. Listened and got her magic, but okay. super talented and, and obviously a badass and stuff. So, you know, I grew up in New York downtown. I thought I fucking knew every studio. I went to rehearse with them and they had some secret spot that was just like behind just some little fucking secret door in Soho that went into this beautiful fucking studio. We rehearsed there and we rehearsed, I think maybe once, maybe twice. And I was like, cool, I got this. And we were playing, it was at Washington Irving High School, and it was a benefit. Okay. And the show was happening. That morning of the show, uh, Oliver came to pick me up. We drove to Lenny Kay's house, who was the guitar player, right? Right. And Lenny Kay comes down. I just, you know, barely knew the guy. He's just like, what's up, man? He had an oud, which is this, like, I think it's Indian instrument or some sort of, like, really tripped out instrument where, okay. the, where the guitar neck bends. And he's like, dude, check out my oud, Oliver. He's like, that's a great fucking oud. He's like, yeah, I got this oud, man. It's awesome. He's like, dude, the fucking oud is so sick. I'm just an like, yeah, oud. Lenny, like, great oud. And like, I get, yo, stop saying oud. I get in the back seat. <laughs> Lenny gets in the front seat with his oud. Oliver goes around to close the door, closes the door on the fucking oud's neck. <laughs> And snaps the fucking ood. And Lenny Kay was so chill. He's like, ah, it's all right, Oliver. And it just, oh then we drove God. to the show. So it was such a weird tone for the gig. Um, you know, in retrospect, I think I played a shitty job of playing those songs. I played them like a hardcore drummer. I played really fast and hard. Uh-huh. And, you know, when you're playing become Because the Night Belongs to Lovers, you got to fucking lay back in the cut. Yeah, you do. I didn't have the, the maturity. Um, uh... To rip it, but nonetheless, it was a fun fucking experience. I played with Patty Smith. Yeah. So there you go. Boom. It's insane. Crazy. Yeah. yeah, it's like you were saying, it's like, does Judge need to make a new record? Yeah. That's a hard question. What I'd like to do, my gut tells me, is. Does Gorilla Biscuits need to make a new record? Look, I love the Bad Brains. I'm not that interested in a new Bad Brains record. Exactly. I like, love, you know, I love Minor Threat. I'm or I'm not that interested in a new Minor Threat record. Right. It just is what it fucking is, and you have to turn the page. I like the idea personally. This is just me of kind of how Down was to Pantera. I want to do fucking post Mike's Mike's like fucking badass record, which not not calling a judge, but just calling it. Something else. Something else. But with Mike. Calling it up instead of down. There you go. Why not? What's up? Yeah. We're up. (laughs) We're up, motherfuckers. (laughs) Yeah, that's one guy. He's a bucket list guy. I would love to sit and fucking bullshit with Mike Judge. He's the best. Yeah, I I never met him. I never met him. He's he's great. He'll fucking... He's nuts. He'll fucking shoot you. No, I'm just kidding. He's great. (laughs) I know. There's all all that lore and that whole... I'm sure he's a sweetheart. Like, there's so many people. Like, it's like, you know, when you're a little kid, it's like, you look at, like, 
And he's stigma if you don't know him. And he's on the stage, he's tattooed and all that stuff. Like as a kid, and you look up, it's like, oh, like, I don't know, skinhead, yeah. boots. Uh, but you, you talk to him, it's like it's like Uncle Vinny. You know what you I know, mean? Yeah, I think it goes back to timing. I mean, people, you know, the reality is, is that. You know, we were all in different places 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Sure. And so. Every like, single time I've ever spoken to Vinny, it's like I know him for 100 years. Yeah. He's the best ever. Yeah. Like, you know, the hope is that you evolve and mature or whatever as a person. And you, you know, if you were a fucking psychopath back in the day, maybe you're not maybe, anymore. Hopefully. <laughs> Doesn't yeah. always really, you know, sometimes, sometimes yeah. people don't shake that. I yeah. don't know. But, you know, I mean, for me, like, Fuck yeah, like hardcore and the excitement and, you know, the lyrics and the music and everything. Uh, But at the end of the day, like, I'm a musician. Like, I really love music. And, like, that came from my dad and my grandfather. I went to the new school for two years when I thought I had to grow up and go to college. And they had a jazz program there. Studied with this guy, Reggie Workman, who played bass with John Coltrane and Chico Hamilton. And just, like, as much, you know, I was always open for anything that was really music and good people. And also different experiences, and that's kind of when like that Limp Biscuit thing came about, or the Patti Smith thing came about. Did you play on any Limp Biscuit records? So I did. So you did. So I wasn't sure. So I was researching, but there was a lot of information I didn't. Oh, you don't have it? You don't own the Unquestionable Truth Part One? Go I do own it. Go out and buy it, folks. That no, is... I do own it. You really own I it? I just no, I really do own it. That's wild. I do. I have, I have, I have so much shit. It's ridiculous. But I'm just saying, like, there was so much information that I was looking at. I wasn't sure who you toured with, what you were on albums with, yeah. blah, blah, blah. There was an interesting one. Doing the Glassjaw record, um, you know, Mike Gitter, I knew through Hardcore, and he signed Civ to Lava Atlantic Records. He was okay. an a guy. He was working Roadrunner. This guy, Ross Robinson, who's a producer, did Corn, Slipknot, Limp Bizkit. He went on to do At the Drive-In, some other cool shit down the road. Uh, he had a label deal through Roadrunner. He, was, he found a cassette, I think... In a pile of cassettes or something of this band Glassjaw, yeah. said I want to produce them. Went into the pre-production, just could, felt like he couldn't work with the drummer. Gitter suggested me. Next thing you know, I show in, I show up, and these guys are all bummed. They're like, you know, five years younger than me, six years or whatever years younger than me, and their buddy just got kicked out of the band. And here I am to fucking save the day, supposedly. Right. So they were really bummed at me, to be honest. But we ended up doing pre-production every day. We worked on the song. Next thing you know, two weeks later, we had all the songs. He's like, we're going out to California. To the studio up in Topanga Canyon on a 60 acre ranch called Indigo Ranch. It belonged to the Moody Blues. Okay. And we're going to fucking make this record. I was like, great, man. Get out there. Um, this woman walks in the first day. She and I hit it off. It ends up being my wife. So I met my wife through making that record because she was no friends shit. with the manager. That's awesome. And she stayed for like two weeks. We fully hit it off. I'm getting paid to play on this record. There's like fucking avocado trees and almond trees. The ocean's right there. And we're making this pretty special record. You probably, at that point, were you like, how the hell did I get here? It was just a real good fucking moment of music. I'm sure. You know, you ride yeah. the wave and there's ups and there's downs. But meeting Ross Robinson was really cool. We became friends. And a couple of years later, I was actually doing a weird session thing for a band called A Static Lullaby, which was like Screamo on Columbia Records. Okay. It's totally just pay to play. Pretty interesting record. I think it's called Fossi Loda. Fossi, I don't even know what it's called. What's the name of the band? A Static Lullaby. Okay. I'm it was the familiar. record their fans didn't like. Okay, I'm their, not familiar. It was okay. their sellout record that I played. Oh, was it their But while I was in California record? doing this record, the sellout record, um, <laughs> uh, Ross Robinson hit me up and said, Hey, man, what do you think about the LB? And I was like, What's the fucking LB? He's like, Limp Biscuit. He said, They want to make a heavy record, and their drummer's like not in a good way right now. 
what do you think? It's like, I'm open, man. I'm down. Fuck it. You know, I like hey, you, Ross, and let's have the experience. Jam with those dudes. Fred came up to me. He's like, he's like, what's up, man? He's like, you were in youth today? I was like, yeah. He's like, I saw, I saw, uh, I saw Gigi Allen once. It's like, all right, cool. All right, and? But long fucking story short, I ended up getting the gig, and we went to this beautiful studio called The Site, where Pearl Jam recorded 10. It was up in, like, Northern California. They had a huge fucking house that they rented. As a joke, they gave me the master bedroom because they couldn't decide, I guess, or whatever. So I had the master bedroom. Every morning, waking up, going to the studio, and just playing music. And we wrote a song a day. This fucking music was badass. And little by little, it became unbadass, and it ended up being like a sort of watered-down EP. The original drummer re-recorded two of the songs. There's like a ballad. There's a hip-hop track. The producer got fired. It was a whole fucking thing. It was a shit show. But, it turned into a shit show. You know, I I had a great time with those guys. Yeah. Nothing but good things to say, and I liked the uh, the experience. Was just really cool. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. Fred Durst was a good guy. He was. I think he was the product of you know his environment a little bit of like. Having people around him yesing him, and also just having shitloads of fucking success, and yeah. like, but ultimately, I heard that he was a nice guy. Like, there's, there's a couple of people that I had on the podcast that have worked with him. Yeah, that say, you know, he's a nice guy. He's a cool guy. Pretty talented. Like, I, you know, he signed Paul Lama. That band, She Wants Revenge, was big at the time. He signed them. He just is like, he was into film at the time. Like, getting into that thing. I think he's directing a movie or something. Like, he's. He's going for it, you yeah. know. He's driven, and, and like I have respect for anybody. In the, I was never a Biscuit fan, but I have respect for anybody yeah, that, not, could, that could pull it off. Yeah, because it's fucking hard. Yeah, I mean, imagine sure. getting to that level. Like, no, that's not easy shit. No, yeah. like I saw, I saw them once, and it wasn't. I can't even say it by accident. It was uh, Lollapalooza '99. Yeah, where they where everyone started destroying everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was pretty bananas. I mean, I was in the middle of the whole thing. It was pretty crazy, the crowd reaction to that band. Yeah. Like, it was nuts. Like, it was huge. Like, people started ripping, like, the the, the side barrier walls from all around. And, and Fred Durst is, like, he's on, like, an 8 by fucking, uh, a 4 by 8 piece of plywood. And he's on it, and they're passing him around. Like, it was, it was, it was something to see, man. Yeah. It, was, it was, like, you know, 200,000 people there. Going batshit crazy. I got paid in Nookie. They paid me in all Nookie coins. Oh, yeah? Just Nookie, yeah. Yeah, nice. It good. <laughs> um, yeah, it was pretty fucking funny. Wild experience. Yeah, I'm sure. What do you, what do you got going on now? So, I... I kind of... Like, Are you in New York now for, for, for music stuff or not? No, I okay. have a... Um, so, like, a friend of mine, so I was like, you know, playing music my whole life is great, but you have to have your hustles within that. Sure. And I've kind of, like, I did a good job of having my hustles, you know, and I got I was DJing a little bit. I did some shit with Tommy Hilfiger and DJing for some events for them. What did you do with Tommy Hilfiger? My wife knew a dude over there, and they just put me on. I, I, I did a party for them. I put all vinyl rock, and they just were like, fuck yeah, you're our dude. And next thing you know, like, ten years later, I was just... Just doing special events for them, That's and then cool. I ended up like curating music for their store. A good friend of mine who I knew for for years like uh, offered me a job at an advertising agency in LA, um, working on like music and brands. And so that brought me to LA. I was like, cool, I'll do it for two years. Go there. My daughter was two at the time. We'll come back when she's four, and I'll have that. You know, hopefully they'll let me work from New York, and life will be great. Yeah. I ended up staying in LA. It's been six years. I was at that job for about five years. Left trying to figure out what the fuck I'm going to do next and then um, getting back to hardcore this dude Jason Peterson who I met in 88 from Arizona he uh, he was like he's like the co-chairman chief creative officer of Havas which is another agency okay. he brought me on a few months ago to help with similar shit like music and brands and kind of that whole thing although he just left the company unfortunately but it, it kind of in my life it comes back to hardcore 
more often than, than not. You know? Yeah. And like those. And it means like, your roots. It means yeah. part of you. It's it, you. Yeah. So I came in the city for that, and um, but also for some music. So I'm taking some photos tomorrow for this record. Uh, I wrote a bunch of songs, just like myself, kind of like on a fucking upside down acoustic guitar in my living room, and um, hardcore tunes. And I got Andrew and Joe, Andrew Klein and Joe Garlop from World Be Free okay. to play on it, and Alex from Chain of Strength to play bass on it. Awesome. We tracked them, and I was like, great, I got these fucking songs. What am I gonna do with it? And I reached out to Vinny from the movie Life, and I am the Avalanche because I've always just liked his voice. He's a hardcore kid at heart, and uh, played him a few of the songs. He's like, "Bet." He's like, "I'll sing on it." He wrote some lyrics and some melodies, tracked it, and so we're gonna do. We have a, a band called Constant Elevation, and we have an EP coming out. I think in like March. Constant Elevation. Constant Elevation. Is it the Grave Diggers song? It uh, it is. It <laughs> That's is. awesome. It is. I'm not mad at that. No, and that was Vinny's idea. And I didn't. To be honest, I thought the reference was more from uh, an Eric B. and Rock Kim song, right? Constant elevation as a chin in my mansion. Yeah. And it's. I just you know, name band names are a fucking bitch to come up with. So I was yeah. just like, you know what? Let's just own this. Let's just do it. So That's awesome. We're really putting it together, and uh, you know, hopefully we'll do a follow up EP or an album, and and you know, these bands like Youth Today start from a seven inch, and Judge started from a seven inch. Real sure. can start from a seven inch, so I think you got to start somewhere. And it's like, if anything, for me, it's like really just a fun, creative fucking outlet. Like I love yeah. hardcore and the fact that I can get with some friends and write some songs and then like work on the art and then put it out and then like have fun while you're doing it and make a couple of bucks while you're doing something that you genuinely love. That's party. There's nothing better than that. That's what World Be Free was. It was like. You know, I'm living in L.A. and Vogel wanted to do something kind of like not fully like heavy, like right. where he has to fucking break his nose every night. And, oh, you God. know, like his back, his neck. Yeah, that just came together really naturally, and that's when the good shit comes out. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's fucking ridiculous. So, yeah. what's up with what's up with Rival Schools? Anything going on with Rival Schools? You know, we put out a record like every what, ten or fifteen years. Yeah, so we're, ten, do, we're due. Yeah, I think you do. I, I, it was 2001 uh, and then 2011 or 2012? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. I love that band, man. I, I would love to play So I, again. great band. Yeah. I'm going to bug Walter soon about that. I think, um, I, you know, it's tricky. Just, you know, I know what, it's just about people's lives. And, you yeah. know, he's he's got a lot of, uh, with Quicksand, with GB, and with all the other stuff he's doing. And just, it's just time. Because you want it to be great. You know, and, and like, it takes... It just takes a little bit to fucking. Yeah. And we're not, and we're not teenagers no more. Yeah. You know, I mean, you have you have a child. You have one one kid. I have one kid, and you Me know, too. and just like, yeah. I mean, it's you know, there's not financially too. It's like an investment. It's not. You gotta hope. A, yeah, you gotta go out of pocket and fund it. Like that quicksand record, Walter told me he's like, yeah, I just came up with fucking money. And Which one slipped? No, the last one that they. Oh, okay, he's, he's like, serious. We just went. I just funded it, and then we found a label. But like, you have to, you know, not all the time, but in rock. Or hardcore or whatever alternative like these days you just you gotta grow it like yeah. but fortunately that's where we came from so yeah. I think we kind of have a I know it's I know it, 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 I'm sure you've spoken about it a lot but it's like a lot and a lot of people bring it up it's like back then everybody bought physical copies of shit now yeah people just rob you shit yeah well they used to like I kind of look at it like when Civ was on Atlantic and Rival Schools was on Island Death Jam, they used to give you advances and hope that you blow up and make it back. And if you don't, it's a write-off and, you know, one Jay-Z pays for, you know, ten Rival Schools. Right. But that model changed where now it's they're not really giving you that money and it's more like go out and earn it, prove it, and then we'll fucking see if we want to invest in it. Right. And, and are there even really any legit labels like that anymore? 
I think the majors, I guess the positive side of it, though, is that now you can do a lot more on your own. You know, you can make a music video on your sure. own with a, your, on an iPhone. You can record it, you know, you much easier. You can market it on fucking social media. Create you can upstream a, to Spotify directly. Create and own all your masters. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. You know, have sole control of your whole entire destiny, for lack of yeah. a better word. I and mean, if you look at the guys that, to me, that won the game, like business model-wise, it's like Fugazi and Discord. Like Ridiculous. those guys. like owning that shit and just owning it 100%. And, yeah. you know, like... They're set. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's not it's not a common thing. I mean, yeah. you know, it's crazy. I mean, and that's that's I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. That's that's foresight. You know what I mean? To to have that foresight in order to be able to to actually do that. And what's even more rare is like even people like in hip hop that actually do it. Yeah. Like like the first person that pops in my head is like Vinny Paz. Yeah, yeah. You know, Jedi Mind Tricks, Vinny Paz. Right. Dude's crazy, crazy successful. Has his own record label. He does everything himself. Yeah. Owns all of his shit, and he's crazy successful. So another record I played on, which I don't know if we added to the list, but that dude was really impressive because I found out that he's got his own crazy empire of like merch and label and bands, and the bands on his label open for him. He toured once a year with them, but is Tech Nine. Ridiculous. So yeah, that's on the fly, but I didn't get to that. So that was yes. through the Ross Robinson connection, a, a really weird scenario, but it was fun, again, in that sort of life experiences thing. It was like, hey, I'm doing this thing with Tech 9 He's a rapper, wants to make like a rock rap record. Uh, the Ross Robinson therapy sessions, and West Borland's going to play guitar on it. It's like, it sounds potentially bad, but... Potentially, but, but on f- paper it sounds bad. But, but yeah, but let's do it. Maybe it's a, a judgment night thing somehow, or whatever. Who, who the fuck knows? Right. I had a lot of fun doing it, but what I, my point being is that what I learned from his operation was that where like in St. Louis maybe or wherever he's based out of supposedly Tech 9 is somewhere over there I believe he's got it like is. a building and he just fucking bangs out his own merch and he's got his own label he's got his own bands that he signs and puts out his own records and just fucking does you it you control your whole shit yeah which is awesome that's free man it's freedom yeah you know? shit man yeah so what else is going on with you <laughs> uh, another one I saw on the list which is a good one was um was how did I meet her? See, I had like seventeen bands on the list, and no, there's the, still more. No, I forgot about. But the, you want to do more? This one is a cool <laughs> record, man. It's a sleeper. I think it's really good. It's uh, Gabby Glazer from Luscious Jackson. Okay, so Gabby. I'm not familiar with her, but I'm familiar with Luscious Jackson. Yeah, like Gabby and I became friends, and like she had these songs basically, and just but really needed some help, kind of just getting there to the next level. And I kind of got excited about the idea of like helping her do this and sort of putting some players together. And Chris Trainer from Orange 9 Millimeter Jam with us for a while but then ultimately Ian Love from Rival Schools and my friend Giora nasty bass player played bass rehearsed a lot worked on her songs recorded them and released it didn't do too much played a few shows locally but it's a really cool record it's just like yeah. a fun what's it called? Soulful. Uh, Gabby Glazer what the fuck is her record called? I don't know hey, it's really good though check listen, it out listen kids just search up Gabby Glazer you'll find check it, it out yeah, we have to, you know, give you directions on how to start, you know, yeah. Googling shit at this point. No. But, uh, yeah, man. Well, I don't know. You want to close? Is there any, is there like a song or anything like, like you want me to like, to like tack on at the end of this? A particular song? Or like maybe like two or three songs of like your favorite things that you played on? That right. obviously that I can have permission to obviously just throw on. You know, I don't Yeah, it's fine on. with me. I mean, I think like, uh... 
No, the glass jar record's really just a special one, like, because I just, you know, again, I just met my wife through that, and it was just a fucking magical time, like, catching those kids that were, like, 19, and that record was just fucking on fire. Okay. So, like, maybe, um, and the song Siberian Kiss is, like, a fucking okay. tune, I think. Um, Siberian so maybe, Kiss from Glassjaw. Let's go with that, and then let's go with, um... Shit, man! Like I feel like disengaged. The song disengaged uh, today. Like, fuck like yeah. that was like, you know, my attempt at playing double bass drum, which didn't really work so well. I had like a way of like fudging it, but I just felt like we were finally tight because the problem is that, you know, we made that weird on the Salone record. Um, incredible. Which is a great record, but the recording is like kind of a train wreck, you know. And but Rick, I think Capital really saved it. Sometimes that makes things a little bit better, okay. a little special. Fair enough. So, but the EP, <laughs> the disengaged EP, was sort of like, okay, finally. This reflects that we're actually somewhat tight and we can play And then that together. was a rap after that, though. Yeah, unfortunately. Fuck. I know. I saw you guys at This Is Hardcore in Philly a couple of years ago, which was ridiculous. That was really good. You know, we're going to play a few of my shows. It's, it's, it's great. I mean, the only reason why I play Judge now or Youth Today now or Shelter now, you know, or Save when we occasionally play, like, is because these, we're all into it, man. We have a lot of love for it, and fortunately a lot of these guys are in great shape, like Capo in particular. You know, when we play those Youth Today shows, like, I would get chill sitting back there. The shit he says is equally as inspiring as yeah, it was back then. And absolutely. He's, you know, the, as he says, like, that message is still very important today because he wrote these fucking timeless, you know, sort of an- anthems. Yeah. You know, and Shelter, too. So I, I love playing those shows. I, I want to play as many as possible. But, um, and then maybe a World Be Free song, like, uh, maybe the song World Be Free, first record, first song, first record, or only record. First song, only record. The only record? Yeah. It's the first song for only record. Well, what's up with that? Is that going to be something else that might come into fruition again? We but are Scott, the, I know, is crazy busy. We, we are the greatest, most dysfunctional fucking band. We have these text chains that are just like... I'm just, sure. Just to decide on like a fucking t-shirt. It's, a, it's really a lovely <laughs> train wreck. That's the best way to describe it. I love those dudes. Hopefully, we, we, we wrote one new song that's really good that... We have to write like another two, and then we'll do an EP. I think that's I think that's a, a nice goal. That's awesome. I think an album is too lofty for us. You think? No I, double LPs coming? <laughs> no, I think no. it's a three-song EP, if, if anything. All right, yeah. well, that's cool. I mean, because that, that, you know, it's like when there was rumblings of "World Be Free," and then it's like, okay, there's Sammy, and then and then you put it on, and it's like. That's Scott from Terra, yeah. Which is so crazy, which is amazing because you know I know it obviously from Terra and Buried Alive and yeah. Slugfest and all these yeah. other insane, awesome bands. Like some of my favorite stuff is you know is some Terra stuff. He was you great because he didn't really sing in rehearsal and and so I didn't know like I was like all right the songs are pretty fucking solid yeah, hardcore tunes. Sure, and we tracked him and then he went to do vocals and I was with him a lot when he was doing the vocals and he fucking crushed it. I just you know I wasn't like that familiar with a lot of his music. But he was fully prepared, totally crushed it. Yeah. And um, and I think he found a sweet spot of like not barking, but also not like trying to sing when yeah. he can. I think he just found he did a good job of, of nailing it. Also, to give himself a break to still do what he loves to do, but not fucking go bananas and bust brain vessels. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, that was to be honest. I think that's one. You know, right after that record came out, he hurt his neck pretty bad and basically couldn't do shit. Yeah. So I know. that was like. 
shit. Okay, yeah. we can't really. There was a, there was a few strings of shows. There was a few string of shows. There was a string of shows. The string cheese shows. Yeah, those things. We sold string cheese at our shows. Yeah, the Polio tour. Yes, yes, Polio yeah. sponsored by Polio. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that 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 they were billed and then like last minute like they had to come off and I was like fuck man because it's Scott's neck, Scott's neck, Scott's yeah. neck. Like they were supposed to play the final the final ever Bane show up in Boston. And I had to pull out of it because of his neck. I'm like, fuck, man. Right. Yeah, so it was replaced by some, yeah, some whatever band. It's cool, man. I liked. I also like about this is documenting my life. You know, they're like they're all like my little fucking babies. You know, I like There's to a look, lot of it, man. I like to look back. So I want to keep doing that. I want to do a record a year. You know, if I can, like, and just like this is where I'm at. Yeah. You know, this year, that year, and uh, you know, so that's my hope. That's my yeah. thing. Well, I got a pretty. F- We'll see if it's funny. It's TBD if it's funny. I think I'm gonna drop it tomorrow, so it'll be out by the time this comes out. But I shot like a. Uh, what are you dropping tomorrow? An interview series. Well, that's not a series. I only did one, but maybe it'll be a series one day. Okay. But it's a. Uh, and I swear to fucking god, I had this idea before Jerry Seinfeld's comedian cars thing. <laughs> All right. But I always had this idea about doing an interview, like talking with dudes in a rowboat in various bodies of water. So like in the perfect world, if it's some fucking Brooklyn dudes, like you're in the Gowanus. Right. And if you're like talking to some Cleveland dude, you're in the fucking lake, Erie, whatever they Whatever. Have. But if you're in England, you could be anywhere. And you're in a rowboat. So I was able to pull together one day in Venice, California, on the Venice Canals. I borrowed a rowboat from a cousin, borrowed another rowboat with this can I hustled these camera dudes and I grabbed my guest, which I will not divulge, you have to watch it. Okay. And uh, I think I'm dropping it tomorrow, so that's awesome. You have, a ro- you have a robot guy. Yeah, you know, right. I, I just like. Uh, I think it came maybe came from the job I had in regards to just creating content, like clever. I love. I appreciate like a good, simple fucking uh, content yeah. thing. Like uh, like Pitchfork has what the over and the under or the over under or something like that, where it's like, is this overrated or is this underrated? Correct. It's very simple. Yeah. And he just different characters, you know, on it. So anyway, that's my attempt at it. So check it out. That's cool, man. Yeah. Listen, creative juice is fucking flowing, and obviously your track record speaks for itself. I mean, you say you want to keep on going, but this, this, you know, right? How old were you? you said you were what? Ten years old or eleven years old when you did that? The power cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Noise all place. Noise place with a Z. N O I Z E. Okay. Please. Pretty okay. Epic. Well, it has to be the Z. We had a song called "Fun with Ron" about Ronald Reagan. Okay. We were fucking pissed, dude. Political. Yeah. yeah. But that young. You know, in New York, you grow up fast. I guess, man. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. You know, it's it's a little scary as a parent now, looking back at because before I met those my right. straight edge dudes, I yeah. was like into my like, oh really? This is a type of acid, like, you know, experimenting. Phase. Sure. You know? oh, I, I experimented a lot. Yeah. And a lot. Which Early you know, 90s, look, a lot. You know, I learned from those times, for sure. Me too. Um, but it's, you know, like, yeah, it's wild, the, the situations that you almost could have got into. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot of, there's like, I did a, a two-part episode of, like, my entire life story. Cool. Episode 49 and 51. Dope. And... It's and then I think it's just like I have a nine-year-old kid. I have my little girl. Yeah. And it's just like I'm so glad that the times aren't the same. You know, she's not growing up in late '80s, early '90s Brooklyn. You know, it's not like like 
she lives she lives in central Jersey. It's kind of suburbia. She's really polite. She's not surrounded by all that stuff. Right. And so far, obviously, I mean, she's only nine, but knock on wood, she has a good head on her shoulders. And, you know, I'm honest with her about things. And yeah. I don't tell, tell her dirty details about stuff. But, yeah. you know, I don't drink anymore. But she'd ask me, you know, Daddy, did you ever get drunk? And I'd be like, well, yeah, you know, I've done a lot of sure. stupid things. And, you know, I'm not going to be like, you know, like... This picture perfect, you know. I'm going to be completely honest with her about right. things, and she even told me like I quit smoking cigarettes. Like she wanted me to quit smoking cigarettes. One right. of the things on her birthday, I'm like, you got it, sex. I don't want you to have lung disease. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Not yeah. do that? You know what I mean? Yeah. So that was like my last vice was, was yeah. yeah. So thank God she's the way she is right now, and and like 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 you said, like I think back and it's like the situations that I put myself in. Thank God she's not growing up that way and she won't have those situations. Yeah. Which is a little bit of a relief. You know, if yeah. there's one good thing that I can create and if it's my daughter, then I, then I did all right. You yeah. know what I mean? So, good shit. Yeah, man. Sammy, thank you so much for your time. Live from man. the basement, man. Live from the basement, the Brooklyn Blast Fair yeah. signing out. Thanks, we're, man. Peace. We're over here now. Yeah!